Um, yeah. Hi, Creepers. It's great to be back. You try to get rid of me, but I'm back. Hey, You're sisters. back. I'm super excited. Hi, how are you? I'm ya? super excited. Um, <laughs> we are doing a different episode today. We are going to do a paranormal episode, which we have not done <gasps> before. And we went to Parapod Festival together, so I feel closer to the spirits than ever. It's true, yeah. We did have a good time at Parapod Festival. We went to the Mentry. It was called Mentryville, the little the ghost town. Oh, yes. That was sick. We went to an abandoned old mining town in the middle of Northern California. <laughs> and it was... Um, a lot of things happened. I was touched by ghosts. And, you know, it was really dark, so I could have been touched by someone else. But I was going to say, I was like, I was behind you the entire time, <laughs> just like poking. When we were in the sands, I will say, I did try to slightly lift your chair just to freak you out. <laughs> I, I'm to- I was totally fabricating things. No, I was I was in it. I was having experiences. You were. You were seeing them happen. Oh, yeah. I was I was in the thick of it. Um, I did see a few uh, things okay. out of the corner of my eye that I kept silent about. And then I had that wild experience when we were in the house where... We, there's like a collective, there's like a group of people there and they're all trying to like, uh, like elicit spirit, right? Like they're calling to spirit, like give us a sign, do this, do that. And I felt and heard the sound of someone like snapping right next to my ear. That's what freaked me out. And I left the room and I left you actually, cause I didn't see you for like a good 10, 20 minutes. Cause that freaked me out so bad. You're a downloader. I'm a downloader. I'm downloading right now. <laughs> What I'm about to download is the topic of this podcast, because like I said, we have not done a lot of paranormal. We did the Nahani Valley, but this is a true paranormal episode. And I put out a poll. Oh, my God. Yeah, I put out a poll last week, and I was like, if we did a paranormal episode, which case would you want us to cover? And I think, I have to check it, but I think the number one was either the true story behind the Annabelle doll or the Amityville horror case. The Amityville horror case, I'm going to reserve for Stu. Oh, but I should explain like why Stu's not here. Stu's at a wedding. <laughs> Creeper, Stu's at a gone. wedding. It's not her wedding. She's gone. Um, no, Stu's not getting married, uh, unfortunately. She's Stu the ordained is, minister. She's running the show. She's the wedding planner. <laughs> I wish that. I would love to see Stu plan a wedding. <laughs> I bet she'd be killer at it, too. She's so incredibly organized. I've never met Stu in real life, nor have we appeared on the uh, podcast together or ever spoken. But one thing I do know for sure mm-hmm. is that broad, that broad can organize a wedding. I believe that she can do almost just about anything. I would love to reveal for them. It would not be a true reveal. Like, I would love to tell them that there's just one voice actor behind the voice of Jack Dylan and Stu. <laughs> There's one person. Yeah, we're the, one of the same. We're one of the same. That's really got to be the ticket to like having guests on a podcast. Just get a voice actor who can like I'm actually Silas Dean and Silas is actually Jack Dylan. That's even better. That I'm imagine like I'm the sole voice of all of it. I do Silas, I do Jack and I do Stu. You record you record for hours talking to <laughs> one just talking to nothing. Oh, and God, then that's you, psychotic. You layer in the voices. I feel like that could be done. It could totally be done. And you know what? Like, that, what a wild reveal that would be. Could you imagine, like, investing into a podcast? Like, imagine my favorite murder, for example, like Georgia and Karen. Like, you really invest in them as two separate personalities, two friends. And then there's a reveal that it's, like, one woman doing the conversation on both ends, just throwing her voice. That would be insane. 
Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Oh my god. That would blow my mind. Absolutely. I'm pivoting us to our case for today, which like I, I said... I smell bad. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. My personal hygiene is not... <laughs> not it right now. I think it's spirit. Spirit's trying to tell me something. <laughs> <laughs> and what is spirit trying to tell you? To wear some... Some deodorant? No, just to clean myself. Yeah, um, maybe hop in the shower. But I'm ready to hear the story. Tell me, tell me everything now. Well, we are going to cover the Enfield Poltergeist, which you don't know, oh. right? Because I ran that by you. I know the I know the Lee Enfield uh, family um, because the Enfields uh, created the um, Lee Enfield carbine rifle that was. Uh, used by the U.S. military. Um, what is this random history World that you're plucking? Where did you Where did you pull that from? Where did I pull? That is that from? true? <laughs> it's true. Springfield. It's the Springfield Leenfield uh, rifle. I played a lot oh. of video games in my youth, and that was my favorite gun to use in your to, youth. So what? Like last week? Yeah, gun down Nazis. Wow. Uh, not at all the story that we're covering today. The Enfield Poltergeist. Well, Enfield is a spot in CT. I guess that makes sense, colonization. But Enfield, England is what we're talking about. So this has been a paranormal case that I have wanted to cover for a very long time. It freaked me out years and years ago when I first heard it because it happened in the 70s. And I think it became the inspiration for a lot of like movie scripts, movie narratives, a lot of scripts around like possession and like... I mean, actually, the movie Poltergeist. I don't think that's a direct carbon copy of what this is, but it is the same feel. So just to talk about like paranormal in general, because, again, we don't really cover that on this podcast often. I've always taken this odd comfort in the idea that ghosts can't hurt you, right? I feel like you've, you've been there, too, where you're like, a ghost can't physically hurt you, right? Yes, they can. They can scratch you and mock the Trinity. Well... That's what I learned through this. I was like, oh, not only can ghosts hurt you, but they can be extremely violent because that is what the, this case is like predicated on. Mm. A poltergeist specifically is that physical objects and or people are moving or being moved and sometimes very, very violently. Now, to define a poltergeist, it's described as follows. A ghost or other supernatural being supposedly responsible for physical disturbances such as loud noises and objects thrown around. The word is German, and it actually dates back to the 19th century, although in this case, which again is arguably one of the most famous cases of a poltergeist, this took place in the 70s. So what exactly did happen in Enfield, England between 1977 to 1979? The story 
is easily, I would say, like one of the most documented international paranormal events in recorded history, as it amassed more than 30 credible witnesses in up to 2,000 witnessed paranormal events over the course of an 18-month investigation. So let's start our story from the beginning to explain. So it's real. What you're saying, this is all real. Oh, I mean, I'm going to, first of all, I brought recordings, which I'm really excited to play for you because... I can't wait to hear them. Well, because this is one of the most documented paranormal cases, like I said. So I was like, I can't not play a few of the recordings. And a lot of, like like I said, there were 2,000 recorded events during this investigation. Are people, like, possessed? Is there, are there possessions? Yes. It gets to oh. that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to run you through the whole story of what happened to this family because it is kind of devastating. I mean, especially if we're assuming all of this is true for it to happen to kind of unsuspecting people or people who were really like impoverished, this family. And suddenly this horrible event is going on and people always say, well, why don't you just get up and move? It's never that simple. Like everybody just Mm. ignores financial constraints when it comes to like a haunting. And they're like, just abandon the home. And it's like, you can't, not everybody can do that. Yeah. I mean, (sighs) possession is, um, there's lit- you know there's literally like priests that are like trained to be exorcists. Of course, absolutely. I know. Do I know that? Yes, of course. Yeah, because you're one of them. You are one. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You exercise me every time I see you. Enough <laughs> is enough. Oh my god. No, Stu is actually a priest. That's why she's at the wedding, like I said. She's the ordained minister. She's officiating. Really? We, I'm actually an ordained minister. You are you know, not. You just get us. Uh, no, I can. I got. I did when I was younger, at 13 years old. I got my ordained minister street certificate online. I printed it out. Okay, <laughs> I'd like to see proof. Is it framed somewhere? No, it was like I just printed it out and forgot about it. But I went through the went through the, like the test, which was just putting in my email and my name. What is the process of that? It's it's really just, you don't have to no. It's just, just like you go you go through the state's website, and then you just you it's like there's a whole portal about being able to officiate weddings. There's no way I, it's just as quick as like a registry. Yeah, it is. That's why people are like my best friend officiated our wedding because like they can't. It's just so easy to get that done. I can marry anyone that I see. What? That's my superpower. <laughs> I can't just say. I feel like that's such a. Fun you thing are to married. Bring up. You yeah. are married. You're not married because he's stealing from you. Um, I'm gonna theft. have to get that. Wait, I want to officiate a wedding. Are you joking? I know. I know. You can officiate mine. Yeah, we'll see when that happens. I'll be dead by then. <laughs> like, I can't wait sixty years. I'm sorry, Jack. You can't stop. <laughs> No, I'm going back. I'm like, wait, was Hairspray even in this in this cut of it? It was. Yeah, we talked about Hairspray. Okay. So I'm going to get us back on track <laughs> with the Enfield story. So let's start from the beginning. I'll explain how this family was completely terrorized by a force that they could not see. And how even to this day, because again, of course, with all paranormal cases, but this one specifically because it's such a high profile case, it faced a lot of skepticism there are still elements of this case that the skeptics cannot explain. And again, a lot of those are recorded. So let's start. And the the family's name. What's the last name of the family? Uh, where is it? Um, It's Hodgson. Blonsky. The Blonsky. Enough is enough. (laughs) I need to, I need to learn a way to like mute you. (laughs) I need to absolutely mute you. 
Ghost time. Tell me the story. <clears throat> well, our story begins at 284 Green Street. This is Council House in Brimsdown, Enfield, London, England. So of those affected in the house, and who the story is really going to centralize around, we have 11-year-old Janet Hodgson and 13-year-old Margaret Hodgson. But additionally, there were experiences that were felt from other members of the Society for Psychical Research, otherwise known as SPR, and even the mother, police officers, and journalists. So let's start when this all begins, which is, I think, a little bit before, like, late August. Or it is late August, but when the official event where, like, this whole sequence kicks off, it's it, this starts on September 1st. So it's September 1st, which I believe was a Thursday in 1977, single parent Peggy Hodgson called the Metropolitan Police for her rented home at 284 Green Street in Enfield, London, claiming that she had witnessed furniture and moving by itself and that two of her four <gasps> children had heard knocking sounds on the walls that seemed to follow them through the house no. wherever they went no so this call comes in right and basically the girls would go on to say in like a later statement when they're like recounting the events of the day they go we told our mom that the chest of drawers was moving towards the door by itself and she said that they were being silly so this is before the mom like even actually saw it with her own eyes so Peggy, in the midst of this, the mother, then witnessed the drawers moving by themselves and in the direction of the door by a seemingly invisible force, almost as <gasps> if some supernatural presence was trying to trap the girls in the room. So then she went and she goes to try to push against the dresser. It won't budge <gasps> like a strong force. So this is considered the first extreme instance in the house at 284 Green Street, of an unexplained phenomenon of inanimate objects suddenly moving by themselves. Oh, my God. I know. Could you imagine? I would die. That was that was us at the hairspray bathroom when we tried to push through the, <laughs> the, the exit door that had no handle, and it was locked. Well, okay, Holy it's because like, it was like a storage door that was right next to the actual exit door, and I was so confused trying to exit that bathroom. I was like... I've been locked in. They're trapping us. <laughs> I'm going to miss the show. Oh, my God. Then I got out. I got out. Fine. You saved me. I did. I saved our lives. So We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What happens with this? So she's terrified. So the Hodgson family, they ran across the street to ask help from their neighbors, um, which I think were the Nottinghams. So the guy, um, the husband, who's the neighbor, uh, Vic, he goes into the house to investigate himself. And he goes in and he's kind of like walking around. He too hears strange noises coming from around the home that also seem to follow him as if somebody was like walking behind him. <gasps> so essentially what happens is they make the call to police after he's like, I have no idea what's going on in this house. I mean, because like, who, what, what do you do in that situation? Like, who do you call? Right. Yeah. You never experienced this. So they call the police. It gets radioed, radioed in. There is a female constable. Uh, who is told to come to the home 
for a report of a disturbance, having no idea the nature of the situation. She arrives at the scene to like better understand, like, okay, what is actually happening here? And she's assuming it could be like any number of things. She's like, maybe it's a stressed parent. It could be like a domestic dispute. Right, right. But like she couldn't imagine the terror that she would experience walking into this home. And this feeling, like she's just like she'll go on to describe where she says something was following her. So she claimed that she gets there. This is the officer. And while interviewing the family in the living room to understand like what they meant, because they're they're, like going off about like there are objects that are moving. And she was like, what are we talking about here? (laughs) Right. She reports witnessing a chair. And this is her quote, her quotation. She goes, wobble and slide on its own, but could not determine the cause of the movement. (gasps) So she's later interviewed like in the investigation of like the home and what happened here. And she gave a statement. So I'm going to read her direct quote of what happened on this day. So this is her own words. On Thursday, September 1st, 1977, at approximately 1 a.m., I was on duty in my capacity as a policewoman when I received a radio message to 284 Green Street, Enfield. I went to this address where I found a number of people standing in the living room. And I was told by the occupier of the house that strange things had been happening during the last few nights and that they believed the house was haunted. Myself and another police officer, she says PC, um, police chief, I guess that means, entered the living room of the house The occupier switched off the lights. Almost immediately, I heard the sound of knocking on the walls that backs into the next-door neighbor's house. There were four distinct taps on the walls and then silence. About two minutes later, I heard more tapping, but this time it was coming from a different wall. Again, it was a distinctive feel of four taps. The PC and the neighbors checked the walls, attic, pipes. They could find nothing to explain the knockings. The PC and the neighbors all went into the kitchen to check the refrigerator pipes, etc., leaving the family and myself in the living room. The lights in the living room were switched off again, and within a few minutes, the eldest son pointed to a chair which was standing next to the sofa. I looked at the chair and noticed that it was wobbling slightly from side to side. (gasps) I then saw the chair slide across the floor towards the kitchen wall. It moved approximately three to four feet towards the kitchen and then came to a rest at no time did it appear to leave the floor i checked the chair but could not find or could find nothing to explain how it moved so right she shows up and she has a full-on experience seeing this in real time that there are objects that are moving in this home and it's not really clear why this was dismissed but essentially the officers are like they're scared and they deemed that whatever this was going on in the house, they're like, this is not a police matter. So the police wanted nothing to do with it. And they just assume they're like, this is removed from our purview. So we're going to leave. But this is like the police in real life I know. there, but not helpful. Well, actually, I don't know if you're clued into like all the inside jokes we have on County police, but if Stu was here, this would definitely be an instance where we're like, that's just County being County. They come in, they see ghosts. They're like, I mean, what can we do really? What can we do? What can we do? <laughs> and then they are the ones that are pulling the strings when the masks are are taken off. They're the, the boogeyman. They're the scary people. They are the scary people. Well, in this case, the, I think, I mean, that's really the only sliver where police are involved in this in kind of any way, shape, or form. Because the rest kind of goes towards mm. the investigators and the journalists. Actually, the journalists come first. So this is outside. 
of like their purview. That's what they think. But they are the outside eye that's kind of verifying what would seem impossible on paper. Objects are moving by themselves. And they would kind of mark the beginning of a near 30-person witness list into the happenings of 284 Green Street. So there's an investigation into the activity that would span nearly like two full years. And from here on out, it only gets worse. Now, before I go into what happens next, just any thoughts on that? Have you ever experienced anything close to that? Is this The Conjuring? That? Is this based on The Conjuring? <laughs> this case is based on The Conjuring. The Conjuring is based on this, yes. Okay, so as you were explaining that, the movie was just playing in my head. So I was Yeah, like, The Conjuring too. They literally, this is the exact story. Oh my God, okay, yeah. So honestly, my question is like, they could just be lying the entire time. This could just be... This could be, like, lies. Um, yeah. Well, like, well, so, I mean, there's a lot of skepticism around this that it was a hoax. But it seemed pretty definitive that, like, a, a an outside officer, like a police officer, somebody who's supposed to be trusted, would come in. And they're giving their own statement saying they saw a chair move four feet across the room. And then after it finished, they go to the chair and they're, like, looking for the string. They're looking for an explanation. They can't find one. Mm, they can't find one. No. They're, they're like, we, we just saw what we saw. And we don't want anything to do with that. Ugh, that's scary. I don't like that. You've never had an experience like that in your life, though, because you've had paranormal experiences, but a poltergeist is specific. I mean, I've had, I've had, um, I've had my like dresser in my childhood bedroom unexplainably out of nowhere shake as if there was an earthquake and then stop. Oh, I think you told me that. Yeah, um, but that was connected to like a string of other paranormal events that were happening to me. Um, I think it was, that was the only poltergeist activity per se, but I mean, I very much am one to have grown up having things being misplaced in strange areas, like Hmm. keys being on the top of like doorposts and like how the frick can the, see that was a good save. How the frick can, uh, thank you. (laughs) How the how the frick um, did a key get up on the doorpost? Yeah. Or like finding like things of mine buried in the backyard, and my dog never buried things, and I'm an only child, so it's like, Ooh. why were my my parents aren't burying this? But this is mine. How did this get this? How did this get here? Yeah, that's um, really unsettling. Because where, where I grew up, I literally lived on a haunted farm. Um, I was going to so, say, I was like, you're, the stage was set for something to go down. Oh, yeah. I mean, for poltergeist, poltergeist activity, for poltergeist activity, for sure, because it was like unsettled business. And um, I think there was like a like a, a small little war that happened in my town. So the stage was set for sure. But hauntings in England, that's dark. That's dark, evil, like old, old, old spirits. Evil like, history. <laughs> bad well it's it's funny you bring that up because a lot of this case when we're trying to define the ghost you know who is the spirit behind this is the question centralizes around this guy bill because that is eventually who kind of channels through uh janet who is used as the conduit and i'll get into this in a bit but there is confirmation that a man named bill did live and die in this apartment that the family did not know about that is the crazy that wasn't bill That was that was the ghost trying to like pretend to be Bill. This is like, this to me is reading like uh, old, like ancient spirit and magic that essentially was just playing with the mortals that were living there 
and that's where it lived and it was just mad that everyone was like trouncing upon its house and um look at you and downloading. True, uh, you're downloading and right that now. at the end of the day yes i'm <laughs> downloading right now and at the end of the day he's here with us right now no do not elicit that i am <laughs> keeping this podcast protected absolutely not listening he's right behind you too i'm shutting it down so <laughs> after the dismissal of the police let's get into what happens next so we got peggy and she you know being a single mom like i was talking about before she did not know what to do because if the police won't help you who do you call in this situation she just needed help with whatever whatever was happening in that apartment so it's not as simple as getting up and moving. She did not have the financial means. They're on limited income. She's a single parent. So desperate, she decides to call a popular UK publication, which many know as the Daily Mail. They would come to investigate the story um, of the supposed supernatural occurrences, right? They're just, they just think they're following up on like a random tip. Mm. Um, but when the reporters arrived... The house sat, oh my God, a lamp just turned on by itself. I have smart bulbs and they're on, they're on a schedule, but <laughs> that freaked me out. <laughs> oh my God, that scared me. I guess it is 5.30, so it makes sense. So the reporters arrived, right? And they sat in the house kind of talking with the family and there was no activity, right? Like hours go by and the house kind of sits mm. silent. It wasn't until the reporters were about to leave that something happened. So I have a quote here. It says the photographer came back and a Lego brick hit him above the eye. So both oh. of these reporters describe seeing like a set of Legos basically fly through the air. And one of them, like, like a piece whacked him in the eye and he had a bruise, which lasted for days. So <gasps> this was enough for them where they were like, what? Because they were skeptics too. They just came to like follow up on a story. They were like, what just happened? <laughs> so this is when... We get into Maurice Gross, who's actually the paranormal investigator who comes in on this case. Once the Daily Mirror got word about like the story and they were like, no, there's something going on here that we need to cover. The whole thing, mm. the whole thing unravels. So the Daily Mirror, they start the story and they called the Society for Psychical Research, or otherwise known as SPR, who sent Gross to investigate the case more thoroughly. During the stay in the house, Gross said that he witnessed and recorded more than 2,000 different incidents of supernatural activity, like I mentioned, many of which were documented through videos, there are pictures, and there are recordings all the way through 1979. And I have another quote here. Descriptions of furniture turning over, cups filling with water, fires igniting, voices, and even levitation. These were the <gasps> top-line descriptions of the chaos that was going on inside the Enfield home without explanation. Oh, no. And though the daughter Janet would later say um, the most frightening of all of these was actually an instance where a curtain wrapped its way around her neck next to her bed and strangled her. So we're talking about like some real wow. insidious work here. Like something obviously supernatural or phenomenon is going on inside this place but it is a violent energy it is a vindictive energy yeah that's targeting the children. not happy no yeah wants the innocence wants to kill them yeah so this is when things take a dark turn in the home like i said as you can imagine the poltergeist began to channel through the girls as conduits this is the really interesting part and was reported to be speaking through the daughter janet at first um and kind of like a guttural like it, was, it wasn't It was even, like, 
making words yet. It was just like kind of moaning, like moaning and like animal sounds. And what, what I read was like barks. <laughs> Um, but mm. this kind of fed into the questioning method that the investigators were already kind of working with. So the investigators from the SPR, they had developed this system because if you don't forget, the knocking was like really a consistent part of this case. So they would ask questions and like try to evoke spirit and be like, yes or no, right? Two knocks meant yes. One knock meant no. And in one reported instance, they asked the entity of the home, are you dead? Uh, to which the question was followed by a recorded series of violent knocks that tallied up to 53 consecutive knocks heard by these witnesses. Are you dead? So <laughs> was it saying yes? <laughs> That's kind of a very vague answer. I'd be like, can you repeat? Can you do that again? <laughs> You're not following the rules here. I don't know what this means, but you got to like follow our rules and then we'll get to you. Oh, that would okay, scare babe? the hell out of me though. Could you imagine like, cause you're just waiting to hear like a, I don't know if you can hear this, but like a, and you just hear like, like that would freak me out. I literally was, this, I, this place that we were at, I thought I'd be terrified getting like, I had so many experiences of being touched and like things happening to me Mm -hmm. at this real haunted location that like, I was so calm when it was happening that I, honestly, if this, if I was witness to this, I, I would, I would be like, you're not answering the question. <laughs> like yelling. Okay, stop. You're not answering the, qu- again, just listen to the question. One knock for yes, two knocks for no. I can't handle it. And then I'd walk out like, I can't handle this. I'm sorry. Okay, but fair. But like some of this like gets really insidious. Like when we talk about girls getting strangled, girls getting thrown across the room. I think I would. I don't know what I would do. Imagine Honey, like growing you've seen up the in Crucible. The... <laughs> <laughs> you've seen a regional production of. <laughs> That's what we should see next. That'll be our next show to go see the Crucible. I'll, I'll take high school performances only. <laughs> I need a middle school performance oh, of the Crucible. So. They took the questioning method into this, right? And they're, like, trying to figure out, like, yes or no, not two knocks for yes, one knock for no. So they're doing all that. They take the question method, the same, like, yes or no method, and they focused in on Janet because she she seemed to be, like, exhibiting most of these experiences of, like, I, I have a heightened sense of distress or, like, her behavior is described as overcome a lot. That's the quote that I saw. So the young girl would often go into this, like, trance-like state where she would basically speak when she did start forming words after like they started questioning her, she would speak in this deep scratchy voice that almost sounded like a man and was claiming this is where um, the name Bill comes in. The voice, this like disembodied voice was claiming to be a person, Bill Wilkins, who had died in the house years before. Now, like I said, it was later proven that a man by that name was once a resident in that home and did in fact die of a hemorrhage while sitting in the very living room where all of the activity was taking place. The ghost would Mm. reportedly talk through Janet for hours at a time in this voice, which became a huge focal point in this investigation. Like this is where the, like the bulk of the recordings come from. Now the voice itself is really interesting because I do have recordings and I am going to play some for you. Yeah. It was studied by several investigators and like linguist um, professionals, like specialists who deemed that, because don't forget, this girl's like 11. If the child was making this voice, like, on her own, 
It physically would have had to have sit at a very rough part of her vocal cords in order to sustain it. Something that the experts, like the linguists and the um, the vocal experts who came in to, you know, listen to this, they thought that it, it probably would have caused damage within a couple of minutes. Like, she probably couldn't do that for more than 10 minutes without losing her voice. And yet, this voice seemed to carry on through these question and answer sequences for, like, hours, completely unaffected. Which kind of adds to this, where you're like, I, I mean, when you hear the voice, you're going to be like, there's no way that came out of, like, a little girl. There's no way. I'm ready. I mean, it's interesting that you're going to get to hear it, because you are a voice actress, so I'd love to get your POV. Like, do you think this 11-year-old kid was possessed, or does she just have chops? I'll do um book or book or pass. <laughs> book or pass. Book did or didn't. Book or pass. Well, All right, this is a showcase. I'm ready. I'll play it in a, I'll play it in a second cuz there's like one additional thing about it. Well, there is a report just speaking about like the inconsistencies with the voice or some of the skepticism rather around the voice. The investigators decided to do an experiment where they filled her mouth with water and put tape over it. And apparently there's a recording of them doing this and the voice is still heard. Oh, that's, that's freaky. Come on. What the, they drown? What, what are they, they waterboarded they just water her? Wait, this poor kid. wait. <laughs> well, this is horrible. Hey, it's if in I, the name of If they of were science. doing that to me and I was the kid, I would be doing it on purpose. Because I'd be like, this is going to come out and you guys are going to get sued <laughs> for hurting me as a child. No, it was the 70s. They, literally anything could happen. They were absolutely like, let's waterboard the kids so we can see if this voice is legit or not. <laughs> well, I think, okay, at first, like I said, I was willing to believe that even a young girl, maybe, maybe she could be capable if she's like just an abnormally like talented kid at throwing her voice or manipulating it to kind of sound like an adult man. It's far-fetched, mm-hmm. but I was like, you know what? I I can believe that. So then I listened to the recordings for the first time. I almost certainly feel that it's impossible for me listening to it i do not believe that this is a voice that this 11 year old child was capable of one doing but also creating like making dis- like decisions on the quality of the voice to sound like this it feels too specific so let me play two recordings for you i'm ready now again just to preface these are from the question and answer sequences and there are many many more recordings of the investigators talking to her, talking to Jana and hearing this voice. But I just want to play these two specifically and just hear what you think. So this is the first clip. Let's see. What have you done with Denise's 30p? So that's one. <laughs> Let me play the second. Are you going to tell me how you how you not get sexy over? Uh-huh. Come on, tell me how you not do that. by the bottom. You what? And then what? I'm with you by the bottom. Yes. Underneath. Underneath it, yes. Yeah. And then what did you do? Then what did you do? 
customer is going to come in the room first. So she gets the blame. So she gets the blame? Yeah. Could you do it if, if Margaret came in the room first? Margaret. Oh, thoughts. In a, that's a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> that's simple, huh? Yeah, that's not her. Because that... No. The intention... No. The, no. no. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> the intention... The intention... Of uh, the answers, and uh, I could tell it's a different perspective. Right. It, it like it's nothing a, about this. Even if it was a child who was putting something on, I'm not getting. I'm I'm not hearing a child who's like making decisions to try to like fool somebody. You know what I mean? No, it sounds like a man. It sounds like an old man. It's an adult. Like it, the intention is like an older perspective. Like I could. It's like he's messing with them. I just don't understand. Like, what was he wanting? Like. He obviously isn't this. Okay, I have a theory. Okay, I'm I think this spirit is not Bill. I think this spirit killed Bill, and is using Bill as a way to just humanize it because it has no other probably point of reference. So it's taken on this persona um, in order to communicate. But I'm like, what is it? What does it want? Well, I guess like, that's I a don't good point, understand. yeah, because it, it's difficult to imagine that, like, a simple, whoever the man was who lived there before, this Bill Wilkins or whatever, what would be the motive as a spirit, I guess? Unless you're truly just, like, him over there. that's like it's, literally it's, what it sounds like, yeah. It reminded me yeah, so much of the of the Exorcist, like, with um, Linda Blair, when the voice takes over. I was like, that. this is almost a carbon copy of that experience. <laughs> It is. As, also, the the line of questioning to me is insane because it's like, why did you? Why did you do that? I wanted to hit her. It's like, okay, what else would the? What else? Why else would the ghost want to hurt the kid? I I want her dead. But like, that's the other interesting <laughs> thing of like, <laughs> the um the like, it wants to kill the girls mm-hmm. or hurt them because they're innocent. Like, is it like it may be on the other side, there's like a prize for disturbing innocence. Well, isn't that a common theme that you see a lot with paranormal cases that children become targets? Like children, I feel like are preyed upon when it comes to paranormal things. Like we often see children, they become like conduits or they be, there's like possession, you know, to a lot of these stories. Like it's somewhat rare that you see adults, especially older adults, kind of become this like become conduits or like do the voices or anything like that like this truly feels it just feels consistently targeted towards children she would book she would that kid would book i mean send that in for a self-tape and you're gonna get something honey (laughs) okay so i i think that alone in my opinion beyond the spectacle of the voice i think the reference alone to a bill like saying the name bill to me, feels like definitive proof. Because, like, put this in context. This is the 1970s. Explain to me in what scenario that this 11-year-old child would somehow... (laughs) It's a bike that just flew by you. (laughs) But, like, explain to me how this 11-year-old would have any knowledge of a former tenant, specifically a tenant who died in that apartment in the 70s. How is that possible? There, there is no explanation. I mean, unless she was like fed that information from an adult, like let's say, like we say, it's a hoax, and her mother did that. How would the mother even know? Like this is not necessarily public I think, information. I think how it's speaking and the matter of which it's speaking sounds more intelligent than an eleven-year-old. Mm-hmm. 
it's the intention of it. I don't, I, I do think that that is probably real. Um, I do think though, that is not a human. I think that is a pretender. Some, that's something what, pretending to be that's human. That's what, that's what older spirits, um, tend to do. They, mm. They try to pretend. Many try to be children. Many pretend to be children. So, like, if you're oh, like in an investigation, yeah. you you hear like a, a child's voice. It's trying to get like the most innocent voice it can for you to like lure in, uh, be lured in by it. Um, oh, that's giving me chills. So it takes on di- it takes on different. They take on different things to get certain things. Again, I don't understand what this spirit would want, other than it knows that it's getting attention. And that's what it likes. Like that it it probably was aware of the attention it was getting and was essentially doing this Mm -hmm. as like a, a performative thing. But it makes you think like, what is the trade off just to be like, just to be like heard and seen or was it to get something else? I don't, I think we're, we're glossing over like the specifics of Janet and Margaret showcase. It's trying to get a showcase. It's trying to get a showcase booked. I'm trying to get a meeting with an agent. That's all, honey. That's all the spirit wants. <laughs> so, well, oh it's funny God. you bring that up because throughout this like 18 month period, there's a number of additional paranormal researchers who would visit the house, including famed demonologists Ed and Lorraine Warren. So this is where the oh. Conjuring universe comes in because they took the story years and years later, and they you know they dramatized it, and the movie is much more dramatic than like the actual happenings, but. As you can tell, like, this is a case that is, I mean, like, kind of firm enough that you could build a story off of it. You're like, that Mm. really was, like, a happening. Like, that was an an event that happened. It's all happening. That's from Bring It On. Can you sing it again? It's all happening. Wait, what's the song I like from Bring It On? Killer Instinct. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Taylor Louderman. Shout out to you, girl. I hope you're a listener. Shout out to you, Mish. <laughs> shout out to shout out to you, Mish. I'm closing that conversation immediately. <laughs> I do love you, Mish, though. I want a hot dog for my ride. I'm begging you, Jack. Don't make me have to cut this, please. I don't have the time. <laughs> So, we got a host of other researchers who are monitoring this case, right? This is all throughout the haunt. Like, there are so many experiences that are noted and, like, considered concrete because there are multiple adult witnesses, third-party witnesses who came in, saw these things, and could attest to all of them. Specifically, that the girls were experiencing some kind of phenomenon. Like, there's something happening around the children. Mm. So, one of the most violent... um, events i guess we could say was described and centralized around janet the voice that you just heard so this was this instance where janet like beyond the voices and like these episodes where like this character would come out janet was experiencing like like a sense of mania like her behavior was becoming more and more erratic and kind of violent so much so that on one night a doctor was called to the home and had to administer an injection of valium to sedate her so she falls asleep from this they bring her upstairs to her room She's completely asleep. Like, she is knocked out unconscious from Valium. And then all the adults go back down to the living room, and they heard this, like, enormous crash come from the bedroom upstairs. <gasps> so those who were still in the home, they run back up to the room to check on Janet, where she is found, still unconscious from the Valium. And somehow her body had moved from her bed 
and was now hanging on top of her dresser. Like it, had, oh. like she had been flung across the room. What does Bill want with these kids? I don't like it. I don't. I, if that is Bill, who knows? But I mean, we should also talk about some of the caveats here, and you know where the hoax theory comes in. There is some doubt on this case, and it kind of there's like a creeping suspicion around the two girls who were the most effective. Essentially, people, the public who are following the story, they're like, maybe these are just kids that like really want attention. So essentially cameras were stationed throughout the home to kind of monitor activity at all times, because even the investigators wanted to like, they wanted there to be no shadow of a doubt in their case. One of the times these cameras caught Janet in a separate room, purposefully bending spoons to make it look like a spirit had done it. So this was like a smoking gun in the whole thing because it cast this huge veil of doubt over the whole case. Like, were these girls really just fabricating, like, all these experiences, like, the entire haunt mm. for attention? Like, was this an elaborate hoax? Despite all of the unexplained events where, like, skeptics, like, normal witnesses came in and saw happenings in the home. So when she was caught and then eventually questioned, she claimed that she was trying to prank the investigators to see if they were legit. Like, kind of like if they could tell the difference between what was actually going on and what the girls were fabricating as pranks. As you can imagine, this threw a huge wrench in the case, like in the investigation, because it meant that almost every instance of activity had to be questioned about whether or not the girls had tampered with anything. Like, was this real or were these just two kids that were Mm. playing tricks? The researchers, sadly, (laughs) from the SPR, they kind of became like a laughingstock for a minute within the paranormal community as these rumors of the girls tricking them circulated because everybody's like scoffing at them. They're like... How could you be so easily duped that, like, Mm. these kids are, like, pulling one over on you? Like, it tanked their credibility in the case, despite there being some, like, pretty compelling evidence that some of these events you just truly couldn't explain as pranks. Like, there were instances where noises were heard, where things would move, where those girls were in the room with the investigators, like, not moving. So... Plenty of skeptics um, were specifically keen in trying to discredit Janet and claiming that the man's voice that she was exhibiting when she said the spirit of Bill is like channeling through her. It was just vocal trickery, similar to like something like throwing your voice, maybe even ventriloquism. And as mentioned before, we had that um, linguistic analyst who came in to talk about the voice, talk about the use of those chords. And they were like pretty sure that. If that was her just putting that on, like I said, that was going to cause damage. So it didn't seem likely that that was the case. Mm. The girls would come into question for years and years over some of their alleged handlings and trickery within the poltergeist investigation. And they kind of came out and said that, of course, they did have their moments where they attempted to prank the investigators. But in the whole of the 18-month investigation, maybe 2% at most of any of the activity in the home was fabricated as pranks. Everything else they said was a real phenomenon that they were experiencing. And it seemed verifiably true. Maybe that's why the ghost was so mad. He's like, you're, f- you're f- you know what? You know what? You know what? Let me mark it down. What do we have? 48 <laughs> minutes. Creepers. Um, I'm really trying not to swear. on here. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the ghost was like, you know what? I'm tired of these girls messing up my image. It's my show. He wanted control and of the I'm narrative. I'm gonna kill him. <laughs> well, there was one of the most egregious displays of like 
physical activity, I would say. like this. So this is like early, early on in the case. So basically what had happened before they set up all the cameras, the investigators were kind of freaked out by all of the furniture moving, like anything that wasn't bolted down had moved at some point. So they did an experiment in Janet's room where they basically removed every ounce of furniture from that room just to see like what would happen. So <laughs> the investigators described hearing, they all went down to the living room, right? They heard a noise while they're standing in the living room. And like the girls are there, the family's there, like nobody's in Janet's room. They hear this like massive vibration and kind of like a drilling sound coming from the bedroom. So they rush back upstairs to check like what that could be. Upon entering the room, they found the detached fireplace pit in the room had been removed from the piping in the wall and had it like been knocked to the center of the space. And this was more than like 60 pounds. Like it was like pretty impossible for the two young girls to have like moved this. But regardless, the girls were with the investigators when this happened. They were in front of them. So there was just no conceivable way that like anything like that could have had an explanation or could have been a prank, you know? Oh my God. What was he trying to cook in there? <laughs> Some uh, porridge? I think he was just mad that they took away all of his toys. They took away everything he could move. He was like, I want the dresser. I want the bed. I want the phone. I want all this. He said, I don't want that. He's a Fine. diva. This guy's he said, a I'll, diva. I'll rip the fireplace out of the wall. I don't care. He's a diva. I, I, if I put me, put me in that room with him, I'd be like, put me in the room, girl, girl. You need a. You, I'm gonna check you right now. You're not alive. It sucks to suck. Next um, snap you immediately. Gotta, you gotta. I'm here The voice is good. His voice is cool though. I'm gonna take it. Yeah, beg, borrow, and steal, baby. Is there more recordings? Like, I want to hear more. Um, I could try to find some. Maybe we'll play some at the end. Let's see. I had I just had those two on hand because there's like a cut. There's so many, Jack. You have no idea like how many there is to go through. A lot of them are mostly of like you can't really tell what's going on because they're audio based only. So you hear like tappings, and then you hear like what sounds like tables and chairs moving and some screaming. Like it's very dramatic. You can't stop the beat. That's just Harvey Firestein. That's all that Tracy. <laughs> Tracy, baby. Ow. Ow, Tracy. Tracy, you got me. <laughs> okay. So as the investigation neared its 18-month run with Janet's behavior, um, it became like so violent that she was eventually admitted to a psychiatric facility for evaluation where her Ooh. mental state was cleared as normal and unaffected. So we also had no explanation for some of the odd behavior and the voices, if it could have been anything linked to like schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder, it just seemed that she had a clear bill of health and this had to be connected to the haunting somehow. And upon being released from the facility, because don't forget, this is like towards the end of that investigation, almost nearing on mm. two years, she gets released, returns back to the home. And it appeared that just as quickly as the poltergeist began in 1977, it had seemingly stopped without explanation. <gasps> There was no additional activity of noises, objects moving on their own, or what was described as a possession of Janet. It never happened again. And to this day, this case and this strange like two-year blip in this town where this happened, it is considered like one of the most infamous hauntings in Britain's history. Like the popularity of this case, if fictitious, um, would seem odd to me. 
considering like the high number of like third party witnesses that came in skeptics really mm. like police officers who were like no i saw things move in that house but also more so that nobody really made any money off of this so if you think about why people do hoaxes like this yeah it's for fame but fame translates to money but that really was not the case like this family did not take compensation from anyone like they weren't if anything it was just like making the house difficult to get out of because like how are they going to break a lease and like get out of it they never made any money i think they made a little bit off of like the original story when the daily mirror came in and they were like we want to do a piece on you so like we're willing to give you x amount but it was just it was like small like that would not be livable money oh my god now let's see what else we have here I think that's pretty much it. It's really just that no one in the case ever saw anything out of it other than the trauma of what this case was and how it kind of ate up two years of their life. And I just don't know that there's a full explanation one way or the other, whether you're a skeptic or not, as to what really went down at 284 Green Street. I think all of the recordings and like the fact that this kept up for a two-year period feels kind of concrete that even if there were small elements that were fabricated as pranks or done by the mm. girls, something definitively was strange here. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I, I do think there was, a, I think, I think this was a ghost or mm-hmm. a demon. I think that's what it was. I, that recording was too real. And should I play it again? Play it again. All right. I'm going to play the first one again. I had a dream. The pause at the beginning is so terrifying. (laughs) That's not a child. I'm sorry. No. terrifying (laughs) yeah um that's that's like old spirit magic old ancient deity that's not a that's not the guy that he's claiming to be that's That's no bill that's a trickster it seems like it's a trickster entity i want a lot of tricksters this place is still available for people to go tour it probably let's look it up yeah i'm gonna look it up right now i'm there right now (laughs) you're on you're on the site i'm on site Enfield. People try to. One of the most popular searches is this address and Zillow because people want to see what it looks like. It must have been torn down. There's no way. Let me see if I can look it up on maps, get a street view. Yeah, I don't think this address exists anymore. I really don't. Ugh. Let me see what the Good house riddance. looked like back in. Um... Ooh, yeah. It just looks like a normal, like, brick apartment. Looks very English. Yeah, there's dark energy out there in England. Some of the pictures that came out of this are shocking. Like, it looks like girls, like the girls being thrown across the room. I don't That's know. horrible. 
Yeah, it's bizarre that like they were able to. Yeah, I mean, I think they went on to live like normal lives and everything, but I mean, you can never really forget like this two year period in your life where it was just so unbelievably traumatic and confusing if this was all legit. I know, but if it wasn't, they're walking away legends. I'm sorry. <laughs> they are. That's, that was an immersive theater <laughs> installation. Oh my God. A two year installation. They're artists. Those two visionaries mm-hmm. at 11 years old put together and duped people. That That's acting. How do you... So, if this was all of all a hoax, right? And the girls planned every prank. How did they execute it? Is my question. Because there are certain things here that we can't ignore. We're, lo- we're like, you know, this goes beyond the bounds of trickery. One, I would say the first instance on September 1st, when the police officer comes and the chair moves. And then the police officer's like, hold on, let me look at this chair. Inspects it top to bottom. And she's like, there's no string. Like... <laughs> Wait, like what? Like how did this chair just move? Mm. That and also the voice still happening while the girl's mouth is taped? Come on. That is wild. Um, But again, like, I think they're uh, nice work if you can get it. If you can get it, if you can try. They were <laughs> trying to get into the West End production of Annie. Lady of Black. <laughs> the woman in black. Lady in black. <laughs> Let me send oh you – I want to send you a picture right now, actually. I do want to say something strange happened before we began. What? Wait, tell me. Uh, my phone. My phone turned off on its own at like 35% charge. And To be fair, that happens every time I call you, it seems like. I was trying to turn it on, and it would not turn on. I plugged Ooh. it in. I was like, it wasn't turning on. Like, it was, it was charged. <laughs> So I was like, what the frick is happening? Nice save. So, I know, really good save. Um, such a good save, baby. Yeah, I know. And then as soon as we started talking, it came mm-hmm. on. Hmm. Clearly some entity did not want you to start this podcast. <laughs> it wants me out. Wait, did you see the picture I just sent you? I sent you a picture Wait. of, that's, I believe that's Janet levitating. This is one of the most famous pictures from the case. What? She's just jumping. Is she? <laughs> See this picture? We've got a believe. skeptic. She looks like she's just jumping. Don't you think the investigators who were like in the room would be like, girl, what? You're just jumping. <laughs> Unless they're in on the hoax. You see, that's where some of the insidious like skepticism around this comes from. It's like, well, how far can we trust the third party adults who are manning all of this, you know? Well, right, like those kids on the bed, they look like they're laughing. Also, what are these posters on the walls? Who is that man? 1970s. She looks like she's jumping. Okay. So one one oh. peg down for Janet. Damn it, Janet. I love you. Ooh, ooh. Oh, wait. I think I'm looking at a picture of it right now. It looks remodeled and it looks nice. I kind of I would live there move in well let's talk about the theory about like why would the hauntings have stopped you know what i mean Mm. like why would why would it be the case that she would come back from the psychiatric facility in both instances if we're like evaluating this as a hoax or evaluating this as real why would she just come back and suddenly all of the activity ceases now and forever that's a good point 
Unless she was behind it the entire time and going to the facility gave her some clarity that like, you know, let's let's give it up. Give up the ghost. Literally. Oh, my God. Um, That sounds like it's a. Well, you know, maybe the ghost was um, in on the con. Maybe the ghost was like, I can make you guys really faint. Because like this kind of this to me sounds like um, like the devil offers you a wish. And in order to get the wish, you have to do its bidding. And maybe like the ghost like told them, I was like, look, I can get you, I can get you fame. Wouldn't it be fame. And like, it's trying to go for like a hmm. child's okay. like I'm idea following. of like what they want. It's like, I can give you fame if you do this for me. And then essentially employs the children to do these things. And maybe the children were in on it. Maybe they made a deal with, I don't know, the devil essentially. I mean, that doesn't and really ha- sound like a ghost. It sounds like a life coach. <laughs> sounds like a press agent. And you know what? You got to pay people for that. This ghost, no money. Sounds like we got to no. meet this ghost. <laughs> sounds like we if you gotta... work with me, I can make you famous. Yeah. I, I definitely got to get, get. No, I don't like. I'm not I'm not letting that into my house. Get away from me. Okay. No, we'll get it no, away. I'm not letting well, it that's really all that I have. I wanted to keep it like a really short, like fun, spooky paranormal episode. I am going to play those recordings for Stu because if Stu hears that. This is why I'm going to have to cover another paranormal case next week, whether I'll do Amityville. If When Stu hears those recordings, it's over. Like, she's she's going to spiral out. Oh, no. Because she lives for that. She loves paranormal cases. So anything that has, like, tangible evidence like that, she's all into it. Ghost Adventures with Zach Bagans? Yes, Ghost Adventures with Zach Bagans. You got to get Zach on the pod. Oh, he'll never do it. He doesn't need me. I need him. We, I need him. He's so hot. <laughs> See, I had. Sure, I think he's hot. Well, not anymore. Sorry, Zach. There used to be a time where he went through like a period of like being juiced. Like he, mm, yeah, he does kind of give that vibe. Like he juiced. looked fit for a really long time on the show, and he was so he was muscular. I was like, I'm, 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 I'm here for Zach. I'm staying for Zach, and the, the ghost can. The ghost can exist, but I'm here for him. Oh, I see what you're talking about. Yeah, I just looked up older pictures of him from like early to mid 2000s. Yeah, super hot. I see it. I see it. He's hot. And he's into ghosts. That makes him hot. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> this uh, this uh, Reddit <laughs> this Reddit page that I just clicked on is called Zach Bagan Smut. <laughs> like fan fiction? Oh. No. No. Oh my God. But that is Wait. it. Mr. Jack Dylan, thank you so much for a fun and impromptu Friday episode covering for Steve while she's out. Thank you so much for having him on the podcast. You're going to steal that voice. I guarantee you're going to put that voice into a show. It's going to be on a show or in a game. Watch out. Great for a game. Perfect video game voice. you kidding? Uh, There should be more haunted video games. Why don't we have any of those? There are. There's, um, There's many haunted games in VR, actually. If you come over, maybe I can find one. You can try it. And this is how he gets me. You are the ghost that is inviting me to the home. No, he just came over. It's fine. That voice alone is just hurting my voice. And with that, Jack, shall we say goodbye on our quick and quick and dirty episode? Goodbye, everybody. Bye, creepers. We're going to be back next Friday. Stu will be back on. We'll have another episode. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to follow and subscribe to the podcast. We'll see you later. <laughs>